Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. Joel Embiid won the NBA MVP and the Celtics were not impressed. They stomped the Sixers to even the series at one game apiece. Also, how good is this Nuggets team and why the Bengals look vulnerable in the AFC North? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. Joel Embiid returned to the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Boston Celtics for the first time since being named NBA MVP and The Celtics greeted him with an absolute smackdown, a 121-87 win. Joining me now from Boston in the arena after the game, John Corrales from Locked on Celtics. And John, this was a dominant performance from start to finish for Boston. What changed? (laughs) A couple of things. I think... Uh, first they played a little bit of defense, uh, which is nice. It's the first time we've seen them play some, some defense. I think we saw Jalen Brown pick up right away on James Harden and Jalen Brown, uh, was praised heavily after the game for accepting that defensive challenge, getting up on Harden, being a little bit more physical, showing a a little bit of more length in in front of Harden. So, you know, he didn't get to his shots, uh, any, you know, comfortably like he did in game one, Uh, he was walking into shots. I mean, it was it wasn't even defense in game one. Uh, the other thing that happened is Joel Embiid played, which first of all, weirdly for Boston, that helps them because that lets Al Horford play a, a more comfortable role on defense. Yeah. He can mm. play the perimeter and all of that, but uh, in the playoffs, he's struggled on the perimeter, but against Joel Embiid, I'm not saying he's a, a lockdown one-on-one defender, but, he has a unique ability to guard and bead better than uh, most guys. And, and the help can be a little bit different when Horford is guarding Embiid. So that kind of snapped to me a little bit more of the Celtics rotations into place. It allowed guys to play just more comfortable roles. And it didn't hurt that Embiid was clearly limited, clearly not his normal self, clearly not 100%. So uh, letting the Celtics play a more comfortable style and not even having a 100% Embiid that can dominate uh, and make the Celtics still pay with his MVP level play helped a lot. You heard it here first, John Corrales say Al Horford is the Joel Embiid stopper. We can, we'll, we'll make a graphic. We'll write it in. No. Analyze um, it, send it to clutch points. Book it. <laughs> this was a game though, John, that was pretty close at halftime. This was only an eight point game. For the Celtics at halftime, it was a 35 to 16 third quarter that blew this game open open when Boston shot the cover off the ball from three. Oh man. Was was it just a matter <laughs> of making shots, or was there something more at play here? I, I think I think it was playing the right way, getting the stops and getting the right kinds of three-pointers. And for for all of his comments after losses, we don't shoot enough three pointers. Joe Mazzulla actually had, uh, I think, something that Celtics fans can latch onto, where he said, "You know, it's the types of threes. It's not to just to come down and jack them up for the sake of taking them." And I think I think a lot of Celtics fans might have been waiting for that clarification all year long because a lot of times the Celtics just come down and jack them for the sake of taking them. It seems like these three pointers came off of. 
uh, some good ball movement. They came in, in transition. They were open. They were in rhythm. And the Celtics are a good three-point shooting team. They weren't They weren't hitting them early. Uh, this game was a kind of almost like the opposite of game one, where everybody was hitting everything early and then tailed off. The Celtics weren't hitting them early, but they stuck with their defense. They stuck with their principles. And then, I don't know, the cover came off the, the rim. It, it, it's funny how once one guy starts to hit, then everybody starts to hit. And, and it really, it started with their bench because it was Derek White. It was Malcolm Brogdon. I got to say, man, when Jason Tatum scores seven points and Al Horford is one of eight from three and you win by 30, that's, that's a, a big-time performance from the bench. Stay up to date all year on the Boston Celtics by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Celtics on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, the Nuggets have rolled to an early 2-0 lead on the Suns and have people thinking they can keep this going all the way to an NBA title. Before we get to that, Ryan Tannehill has deja vu. Looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and the calories that normally come with a snack that is delicious, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever and Built makes it. I have them literally almost every day. I had one today. I had the cookies and cream puff and it was glorious. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for asking. And you can enjoy them too and and you should because this is fuel for your body that tastes like a candy bar. 130 calories, four grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein, and now you don't have to go to Built.com and wait for your box if you don't want to. I still do often do that to get the specialty flavors and the exclusive drops and all the cool things that Built does, but if you're out and about, if it's easier for you, go to Walmart, go to Sam's Club, and get a box today. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. The Titans drafted Malik Willis last year and Will Levis this year. And I'm guessing it wasn't because they thought Ryan Tannehill could throw to them. The Titans could use some receivers. Tennessee is giving a lot of signals to Tannehill that the job of starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans has a shelf life for him. When he was asked about this, Tannehill didn't miss a beat. Yeah, we've, we've been down this road uh, before, so it's definitely uh, a little bit of deja vu. Um, but like I said, um, Mike and Rand make those decisions. My job is to go out and, and try to win the ball game. On the diamond, the Angels made a late comeback to add to early season sorrow for the St. Louis Cardinals. The Angels went down to the farm, and not the minor league farm. They went to Jake Lamb and the GOAT, Mike Trout, to win this game in the top of the ninth thanks to Jake Lamb's tie game home run, Mike Trout's go-ahead home run. And man, Shohei Otani struck out 13 on the mound. What's going on, everybody? It's John Frisch, one half of Locked On Angels. Shohei K'd 13, as I mentioned before. He went five innings pitch. He gave up four runs. Two of those were home runs. And it looked a little dicey until the end of the game. Then, at the end, it was four to three. And suddenly, Jake Lamb comes in. Pinch hit, home run. Mike Trout gets a go-ahead home run, makes it five to four. Otani doubles. And Anthony Rendon drives him in to make it six to four. Carlos Estevez comes in and shuts it down, gets Otani off the hook. Man, we can't wait to talk about this one against the Cardinals. So we hope you'll join Mike and I on Lockdown Angels wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Also, Shohei Otani became the first person not named Babe Ruth 
to record 500 Ks as a pitcher and 100 home runs as a hitter in Major League Baseball. When you're in the record books with Babe Ruth and no one else, you know you did a pretty cool thing. And the White Sox have had one rough start to the season, but now they've won three in a row. The Chicago White Sox beat the first place Minnesota Twins 6-4 on the south side Wednesday night. Hey, I'm Nick Morawski from Locked on White Sox. Feels good to feel good. The White Sox have now won three in a row. They've locked up their first series win of the entire season. They go for the sweep on Thursday afternoon with Lucas Giolito on the hill. Who knew that getting rid of Jake Diekman and bringing up Billy Hamilton would be the change that this team needed? Sox are now 10-21 and 21 on the season. For more, check out the Locked On White Sox podcast. Here is another story you need to know. While the Lakers and Warriors have been getting all the attention, the Denver Nuggets have just quietly taken a 2-0 series lead over the Phoenix Suns in their Western Conference semifinal matchup that now heads to Phoenix. Joining me now from Locked on Nuggets, Matt Moore. And Matt, we can talk about Nikola Jokic and his greatness, and we will. But I want to start with the defense that Denver has played in this postseason Um, holding the Suns under 107 twice. In fact, under 90 in the second game, understanding injuries played a role there. What have you seen defensively from Denver in this series so far? A lot more intensity, uh, a lot, honestly, sharper execution than Phoenix. They've schemed very well. They know what they're doing in personnel. One of Denver's strength is that their coaching staff is extremely detail-focused. Paul Millsap once told me it was the most detail-oriented team he'd ever been around from a coaching staff perspective. Wow. What that translates to is guys staying home on shooters that they need to stay home on, helping off of shooters they don't need to. Josh Kogi, Torrey Craig, Cameron Payne, anyone not named Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, essentially. <laughs> and so those rotations, their weak side reta- rotations, when they blitz at the level of the screen have been very good. Their drop coverage has been sharp in terms of how much space to give. It's all been very much on point. A lot of the talking points on the podcast before the the series started were about how are the Nuggets going to defend the Suns? How are they going to stop them? And I don't think there was probably enough attention paid to how is the Suns team that's not very well connected, doesn't have a lot of experience, and doesn't honestly have a lot of defensive personnel going to slow down one of the best offenses in the NBA. And that was the big question in game two. Could they make those adjustments? Nikola Jokic goes out 39 and 16 only had five assists to go along with those numbers. Uh, How, if you're, if you're in that Denver coaching room, Phoenix, they have, as you mentioned, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, how can they adjust? What is the counter if there is one for Phoenix as this series shifts to their home court? So we saw it in game two, right? A lot more ball pressure applied to Jamal Murray, trying to guard him for 90 feet, trying to really wear him down to make sure that he's not able to get comfortable. Murray played terribly in that game after a fantastic game one, but a lot of 15 of nine for three for, for Murray. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of this turns into, okay, so what, like, how do you do this? How do you shut down the movement? You stay home on Nikola Jokic and don't bring help. Well, then he goes for 39. Like, but I will say this, like you take that, that efficiency for the nuggets. Like you take that if you're Phoenix and go, 
Okay, it's tough. If we had made some shots, maybe we could have won this game because the overall efficiency, they got to keep the nuggets out of when they are hitting you in waves, when it's Jokic scores and then Murray scores and then Gordon scores and then MPJ scores and then Murray scores twice and then Jokic scores twice. You got to get out of that. And then the KCP threes, we saw this in the fourth quarter where the Suns did such a good job all game long. And then the fourth quarter, the nuggets got to their two man game and that opened up KCP for three. Um, I think we'll probably, you know, with Chris Paul out, obviously a huge injury for Phoenix. Yeah. Probably going to have to see campaign or Landry Shamit. Neither of those are very good options. It makes their defense overall worse. Um, I do wonder if we'll see a Phoenix time shift to more of an offensive approach. I think Phoenix probably has to recognize you're not going to win this series with defense. That's not going to happen. Your best bet was game two and you didn't win. So now it's going to have to be like they have to flood with shooters. And so I'm expecting a lot more Damian Lee. I'm expecting maybe Terrence Ross or TJ Warren, um, but they're going to have to to get a lot more offensive person out there to maximize space, maybe go small with Kevin Durant at five, just to try and turn this into an offensive series. They've tried playing a balanced approach, which has been the identity of Phoenix over the last three seasons under Monty Williams. It's not working. They're going to have to really tilt the series offensively if they're going to get back into it. Part of the DeAndre Ayton narrative, understanding, look, he's got some limitations offensively and, and Chris Paul is still going to yell at him three or four times a game, but he was billed as someone who in these moments could at least stand up and make Nikola Jokic work. That hasn't really been the case so far in this series, but part of that is there just aren't that many other options around Phoenix defensively. How have you seen that matchup play out so far? I'll actually disagree. I think he's made him work. I just don't think it matters. I think mm. he's done. He's battled him. He's last game. He worked really hard to make sure that he was first down the floor on both trips, make Jokic run in transition. And then on the other end, make sure he doesn't get deep seals to contest and make sure that you are, are not letting him get ahead of the defense and Aiden battled. And, you know, he had good, good positioning and he had good footworks and he, he did give uh good contest on, on shots and Jokic's efficiency wasn't otherworldly it just doesn't really matter. Like at this point, Aiden had a lot of success two years ago, but one thing that Amars and I and locked on nuggets have talked about a lot is after Jokic, after you have some success against Jokic one or two times, he figures you out and he's figured out Aiden. Stay up to date all year on the Denver nuggets by subscribing to locked on sports today and locked on nuggets on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube coming up. The Bengals are vulnerable in the AFC North. For two years in a row, the Cincinnati Bengals have made a trip to the AFC Championship game. Host Tyler Rowland and Alex Clancy have locked on NFL. See them as vulnerable, even though they are favorites in the AFC North this year. What I do know is it shouldn't be in Sharpie, Cincinnati. That's all right. I know. That, right. That's I mean, that's and that's kind of a cop-out answer. What about Cleveland? Right. They had a top five quarterback who played terribly last year, but when before yeah. he had what he did off the field, you know, the, the atrocities that he can now play football yeah. a full right. season for. They've got Nick Chubb. They've got a great offensive line. They've got Miles Garrett. They've got good corners. Like, their their game translates in any weather. Like, I talk about how important that is, especially down the stretch to win games. In that division, too. I, give me Amari Cooper and Deshaun Watson for a full year. Amari Cooper's 29. Amari Cooper's still yep. incredibly capable. Yep. Like, yep. just... Great. That the division games are must watch TV all year, even with the Steelers. The Steelers mm -hmm. are improved. They went, listen, our defense needs to be a lot better. They're they just just power drove that defense and offensive line to make Kenny Pickett's job easier. Like, I have no okay. idea. All I do know is that Cincinnati 
is not a surefire winner of the AFC North. That's all I know. Yeah, and and that was really my only point at the at the end of the day. The the Ravens have gotten a lot better, and with Lamar back, and no uncertainty there anymore. I I just don't think that we should forget that the Ravens almost beat Cincinnati with Tyler Huntley. So I I just, I think that uh, I think the a fully stocked Ravens team could definitely get give the Bengals some worry. Vulnerable, yes. Still favorites, also yes. And our friends at FanDuel agree. Right now, the Bengals plus 125 to win the AFC North. The Ravens plus 240. The Browns plus 350. And the Steelers plus 650. So you have a little cluster at the top and the Steelers clearly a tier below that other group. And I have to be honest, I I like the Ravens at plus 240. I even like the Steelers at plus 650 just because George Pickens could turn into a monster and the Steelers, by all accounts, had one of the best drafts in football. Mike Tomlin, one of the best head coaches. But I do think we are underestimating how close this gap has now narrowed. The Browns had the Deshaun Watson specter hanging over their season last year. And for good reason, that is a heinous situation that has gone on there. The Ravens, all they've done is gone about their business in the offseason. They've added Odell Beckham Jr. They added Zay Flowers in the draft. They are putting together a really quality roster, a team that fought for a playoff spot last year when Lamar Jackson missed a significant amount of time. The Bengals are one of the true contenders in the AFC, but the gap between them and everyone else in their division is shrinking, and we may not be that far from wondering when Joe Burrow has to get the Jalen Hurts contract and then some, and Jamar Chase has to get his top-of-market contract. We're not that far away from wondering if the Bengals missed their window. And finally, a little live golf drama for your Thursday. Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, and Sergio Garcia were among four players with Saudi-backed Live Golf who resigned from the European tour instead of facing fines of 100,000 pounds, which is $125,000, for playing live events without permission. They were among those who played the inaugural live golf event outside London last June and violated the conflicting tournament regulation policy. The decision stems from last month's ruling by Sports Resolution that a number of players committed serious breaches of the European tour's code of behavior by playing in live golf events last year. It also comes on the heels of some mixed performances at Augusta this year by live golfers. This story, it's not going away. It's not going away. And in some ways, just keeps getting juicier. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, who will win the NBA championship? So at least until tomorrow... Stay locked on sports today.